With harvest in the U.S. largely wrapped up, some focus has shifted to figuring out the winter forecast and whether relief from 2022's extremes might be in the offing. What's on deck for winter weather? That's today on Field Posts. a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. A colder-than-expected weather pattern is shaping up for much of the country heading into the winter months, and this shift in outlook is offering some hope that a cold, hard winter might be the start of a shifting pattern towards less heat and more precipitation. To help us put these forecasts into context, team lead for ag weather John Baranek joins us today to discuss the long-range outlook that DTN's analysts are tracking and what that might mean as farmers across the country continue to reckon with record dryness. We'll talk about the evolving La Nina in particular and what this rare third year could mean for the season ahead. We'll also tackle weather conditions in Latin America and what they could mean for the southern continent's winter crop. Plus, we'll explore the effects of late-season tropical storms and what to watch as we ring in 2023, from Mississippi River levels to snowpack. All that and more, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2022 DTN Ag Summit, this year happening virtually. Here's Katie Dellinger for a little bit more on the agenda and how to register. I'm really excited about this year's Ag Summit. We've got a good lineup of people, including CHS's Gary Halverson. He's really going to speak with us about some of the different risks and uncertainty in the marketplace today, what farmers can do to navigate this environment where things are just incredibly volatile. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say and share. And I'm also really excited about the conversation we're gonna have with former Minnesota Representative Colin Peterson and Kansas Senator Pat Roberts talking about the next farm bill and the farm bill discussion. I think there's some interesting conversations coming down that pike, especially with the Biden administration and the direction that the agriculture department looks like they want to head as far as some of these issues around sustainability. We'll also have a really good session on carbon credits with a farmer or two sharing their experience as well as representatives from a couple of different companies and projects about how farmers can maximize or at least find a way to see if carbon credits are the right fit for their business and what the right avenue for those might be. And I also want to remind everyone we're doing Ag Summit virtually this year, so there's no need to travel. You can enjoy and partake in all this great content from the comfort of your home, and we look forward to seeing everyone there. Registration is open. It is at dtn.com slash agsummit. You can find all of the details there, including more about what's on the agenda. Visit the website to find out more about how you can attend this year's 2022 DTN Ag Summit. Now, back to the show. Team lead for Ag Weather John Baranek joins us today to dig into the latest ag-relevant weather forecasts. John, we last spoke to you right before harvest started. I wonder if you can start with a little bit of a look back. We talked about some predictions for how harvest weather was going to play out. Did the season go as you expected? Uh, Yes, no. I mean, for the most part here, the early harvest season went off without a hitch. It was very warm and dry for a lot of the country's growing areas. And so progress moved along quite rapidly. We did hit some snags, though, kind of late 
And uh, we saw the pattern change quite a bit, especially when we got into October. And uh, we had uh, an interesting thing play out where it got chilly there in October and it kept things a little bit on the, the colder side and more stunted side for anything that was late planted or something like that, or anybody that was trying to get out and work. We started to see some issues there. We had some colder conditions moving through. We had a little bit more rainfall come through October into November, and it started to help out some things. Most of the people got out, no problems, but we did start to see, especially when we got into November here, some snow, and we saw a blizzard up in the Dakotas and Montana here last week. We've had continuous snow since then across a lot of the north central U.S., so anybody who's still late or who needed to get some harvest done might have run into some issues with either some rain or some snow, some cold conditions for that. One thing that I know we talked about last time was the low river levels on the Mississippi River. And late October into November here has had a couple of better systems moving through that has helped out at least a little bit. Part of that was due to Hurricane Ian. It did produce a little bit of rainfall into the Ohio River system. Hurricane Nicole, which came through late last week, across Florida, moved up the Appalachians and it, it spilled over some good rainfall into both the Ohio and Tennessee rivers there too. So we're getting some better river levels on the Mississippi, which is good for moving grain down, moving fertilizer up. We'll remind everybody that we still got widespread drought across a large portion of the country here. And that's not changing here over the next several months. We'll have to wait till probably spring, but we could, did get a temporary boost in river levels and that'll help at least in the short term. I wanted to ask you about those tropical storms that we saw come through unusually late in the year, I think. Why so late? Why is this happening? Honestly, the hurricane season runs through the end of November. We shouldn't be totally surprised that we saw one here in November. If we look at the hurricane season as a whole, we were expecting a lot more storms than we actually got. It didn't really come to the kind of pacing we were expecting until later into September. And we talked about Ian, also Nicole here in November. So the pacing kind of worked out right, but it just started very late. So we didn't actually come up with the same amount of tropical storms as a lot of folks were predicting here before the season started. But it does end the end of November here. So there's technically two more weeks left in it. And we've had several years in the past that have gone well into December with some tropical systems. So it's not out of the ordinary to see them this late. I want to circle back around to now looking ahead. Winter weather is obviously top of mind for a lot of folks, especially as you mentioned, drought in the West, when most of the West at this point is still pretty severe, pretty troublesome. What are you foreseeing in terms of the winter forecast for the next couple of months? It's interesting. This fall didn't really play out in terms of the upper level pattern that we were expecting. What we've seen is some of these colder shots moving through. We just really weren't anticipating that to the degree we've seen them until later in the wintertime. So we've gotten them early. So we've gotten an early shot of winter here. It really started in early October where we got that cold shot. We've got another uh, pretty darn good cold shot moving through here now that we're talking in the middle of November. And if we're looking out into the future, we're going to kind of see this pattern, I think, set up again in about mid to late December. So I was talking with our long range forecasters here actually earlier this morning And we've got a setup here that's going to kind of mirror what happened over the last few weeks. We're definitely cold here this week and everybody's feeling it. Next week, that pattern kind of relaxes and we get into a more progressive or typical pattern we were actually expecting for a lot of uh, the, the fall season where we get some warmer conditions moving in through the country. 
that lasts through at least early December, but then everything's coming together. There's some mixed signals between models and some of the other things we look at where we are forecasting a, another cold shot to move through mid or late December, pushing us back into kind of the same situation we're seeing here in November. So I think we might see this kind of pattern play out again. Now, not everything agrees. So the confidence on that isn't totally high, but if we get a cold shot in the middle of December, that's what we're anticipating. But I will stress that it might not actually play out that way. Speaking of cold, I think when we are thinking about cold and unusual cold, easy to remember the extreme conditions that covered most of the country in the last couple of years, all the way down to Texas. Yeah. Talk about in terms of, as you're following these longer term forecasts, as you look out into the winter, do you, ex- I don't know if expect is quite the right word, but do you anticipate that there might be the possibility for unusual cold in parts of the country that don't usually experience those kind of conditions? Yeah. And we actually saw that the last two winters and both of those were La Nina winters. We're headed to our third La Nina winter in a row. So I would anticipate that we do get some colder conditions all the way down to the Gulf coast. Whether or not that results in something extreme like we saw in February of 2021, where Texas froze over and we can all remember the energy crisis that came out of that, or some of the not as severe ones that occurred in January and February of, of 2022, but they did get all the way down to the Gulf Coast. And that's, it's actually pretty rare to get cold freezing air all the way down there for an extended period of time. And we saw that both the last two winters. La Nina definitely favors that kind of pattern. Usually what we see is a ridge of high pressure across Alaska, and we get a trough of low pressure over the U.S. And if you follow that, the area likes to go from areas of high pressure to low pressure. It brings all that cold Canadian air, Arctic air up from around Alaska and up around the North Pole and dives it down into the into the U.S. And usually that comes with clipper systems, and they don't dive too far down into the south, but... La Nina really likes to to amp things up and really bumps up that ridge really high, deepens that trough. And so it's a lot more likely to get down there to the Gulf Coast. Doesn't mean it always happens, but the probability of it happening again this year is higher than it would be during a normal year. So I I think there's a better than 50-50 shot at getting another significant cold event or events down there to the south. Could mean some more wintry precipitation across Texas across the southeastern states there, even down to Atlanta or uh, uh, Mobile, Alabama, might even to the Gulf Coast. It's possible that we get a little bit of ice or a little bit of snow down there. But those rare events, it's very rare for them to get any sort of wintry precipitation. It usually doesn't last long. It's usually like a one day or two day event. And even if it's followed up by some colder weather for a few days, it melts off pretty quickly. So it's nothing that's overly significant for a long period of time, say something happening over Minneapolis that sticks around for months. On that subject as well, I think there's, it's not always clear what the relationship between the coldness of a winter. I think people like to believe that a cold, hard winter probably means a lot of precipitation, but I'm wondering how your models are lining up with that in terms of, yeah, what are expectations around maybe finding some drought relief in this winter season? Yeah, you think cold, you automatically go to snow, right? But that doesn't always happen that way, especially when they're coming from way up towards the North Pole. These are big fronts that are coming through. They're not low pressure systems that are coming through. And coming from that far north, they're coming from uh, land masses. They're coming from ice covered places. So there's not a whole lot of moisture that comes with them. 
kind of reliant on trying to get a little bit of moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico to run into those fronts to create those big events. And that doesn't always happen. Things have to line up to get that to occur. They're more likely to be drier as they come through. The snow likes to form up on these kind of clipper systems from the Canadian prairies down to the Great Lakes and then back up through the Northeast and into Eastern Canada. That's, I think, where we'll see the most likely areas for at least normal precipitation. Further south, though, especially in La Nina, unless you get one of those big wintertime events, it's very hard to get precipitation down there. So we usually end up drier than normal from, say, like Kansas, Missouri, and the Ohio River southward. We're less likely to find any drought relief there. And even if we get normal or above normal precipitation and snowfall across these northern states, and we're still talking about if you melt it down, it's on the order of a few inches of actual liquid precipitation, and it's all locked up in snowfall. We have to wait till the springtime for it to melt and actually have any impact on soils anyway. Winter is not a very good time east of the Rockies to, to improve the drought situation, especially in a La Nina winter. We spoke last time a bit about the possibility of switching over to an El Nino a little bit later into 2023, but I wonder if you can give us an update on that, first of all, and then talk a little bit about the kind of realm of possibilities there. I think that's a very ideal situation where we have a bit of a a cooler, milder, wetter season in 2023 would be super ideal, but I think what else is on the table? What else is possible? Yeah, so nothing's really changed. It's kind of interesting too, because models have consistently held this pattern for months now that we're going to stay in line through about January, February timeframe. And by the time we get into March, we start easing our way back up to neutral or more normal sea surface temperatures there in the Pacific Ocean. And towards the summertime, hinting at getting up into El Nino classification at that timeframe. Now, There's something interesting that happens during the spring where model, the accuracy of models past about March doesn't really get good until you get to March. Uh, It's something called the spring predictability barrier. It's just a fancy term that we use to say that models aren't good until we actually get into the spring to talk about later in the spring and into the summer on how that will behave, you know. Even though they are still projecting getting into El Nino classification here in the summertime, our confidence on that isn't, is still not that great. It's still something we're watching and models are still consistent about it. Unless they change over the next few months, I think we can start to think about what El Nino actually means during the summertime. And I'll say it, and while El Nino and La Nina are big drivers during the winter, they have less of an influence during the summer. But Still, it was around all this summer. We saw drought increasing dramatically. We had huge heat waves across a majority of the country. And a lot of that was La Nina driven, even if it did have a lower influence than it might have in other years or in other times of the year. But during an El Nino, we do experience across the, especially the the Northern Plains and the Midwest, cooler than normal conditions during the summertime. So less heat stress. It's not going to be cold. We're not going to be talking about temperatures in the 50s every day, but less heat stress on crops and more variable, but a little bit more consistent rainfall. So we don't see large areas of drought developing. We usually see pockets here and there of it where just some of these things miss. El Nino just doesn't mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory and we're going to be blessed with great crop yields all throughout the country, but we got a better chance of, especially out in the West, having some better conditions for them 
if El Nino are, uh, is to develop. The West has been very dry for a long period of time. La Nina has made that much worse. Even the Pacific Northwest has been, they've been in and out of drought throughout the course of the last couple of years, but they've all, they've been plagued by it at some point in their growing season every year. La Nina usually brings about better conditions across the Pacific Northwest. Usually we get a little bit more rainfall and we see drought reduction up there. That's usually one of the places in the country where we actually see drought reduction during the winter time instead of farther east where we don't really see a whole lot of that going away. And honestly, what we're looking at is a lot more rainfall north of the border into British Columbia and into Alberta than what we would typically expect to see in Oregon, Idaho, Washington areas. So I'm a little more concerned about winter wheat in that situation going into next spring. We'll see if that actually holds up at all or if they get enough snowpack in the mountains to actually get some good irrigation there during the spring season. But that's one of the more areas that I'm concerned about as well. I wonder if you have been keeping an eye on kind of the global forecast picture and whether anything has changed there in a meaningful way that maybe changes what how you're thinking about the 2023 season in terms of productivity in other key parts of the world. Yeah, South America's on uh, up first, right? Cuz the it's their springtime, we're into the kind of the heart of their early growing season and what we're looking at is we talked earlier about Brazil actually getting some pretty decent rainfall for La Nina conditions. And usually what it what, what turns out to be is pretty bad from Southern Brazil all the way down through Argentina. Now, Argentina has stayed fairly dry, but Southern Brazil has done much better with it, honestly. Recently, though, we've had a lot more dryness pop up and it's been broken up by fronts moving through at times and uh, some okay precipitation. But overall, we're starting to see that kind of La Nina pattern really take shape of a drier and hotter conditions there for Argentina and Southern Brazil, where the drought has been really bad in Argentina already. We're very concerned about the crops and their productivity there. We've already seen it have a huge impact on wheat and wheat yields. Every time we get a new forecast from a private or public entity down there, it's cutting production in wheat. And the planting pace down there in Argentina for corn especially, is about half of where it usually is at this time of year. They're really pushing it off. They're just hoping and praying for rain. In Brazil, it's gone a lot better. The early rains they had over southern Brazil, the on-time start to the wet season in central Brazil, even if it's been spotty, pokey kind of showers moving through at times, it's been okay. And it hasn't been obscenely hot there either. Conditions, for the most part, are doing pretty good in Brazil. We're a little bit concerned Going forward here about southern Brazil, especially with the state of Rio Grande do Sul, which is a lot of corn, but the soybean crop there for southern Brazil and into central Brazil is on pace for continuing to have their record crop this year. Um, uh, central Brazil especially is going to do well. We, Like I said, we've had some dryness concerns over southern Brazil, but not in central. We're not seeing that potential either. Now, it's Going to be curious as to how this all plans out for their second crop, their safrina crop. They'll plant their corn here right after they harvest their soybeans in January and February. And, you know, overall, I think central Brazil is going to do all right. I'm more concerned about southern Brazil. And just because of what typically happens during La Nina, the forecast, the long range forecast kind of point to the same sorts of dryness concerns, heat and dryness concerns down there. And uh, South America is our biggest competitor in the world markets and forecasts for them are just insanely high. They're breaking records like every year because they keep expanding their acreage and weather becomes a much more important factor down there for South America. 
than what we have seen in previous years. So we keep a close eye on that and keep watching. Hopefully we can give some folks some ideas about how that's going to turn out for the rest of the season. I want to ask as well about, I think during the winter is maybe one of the more challenging times in terms of knowing what to keep track of and knowing what the key factors are. I wonder what you will be keeping the closest eye on over the next couple of months as you are thinking about markets, as you're thinking about the 2023 season, what will you be on the lookout for in terms of wild cards that are still might throw a wrench maybe in the forecast that you're foreseeing for the coming season? I think the biggest one is actually the the ENSO, the whole lining situation. What, at what time does that actually relax and how quickly does the atmosphere respond to that? Because usually there's some sort of lag period between that. If La Nina lasts a little bit deeper, maybe into March timeframe and the effects hold on a little bit longer into April and May, uh, we might be having a, a different looking forecast than we do now. It's all about the timing right now and trying to get that right. Like I said, with that spring predictability barrier, the confidence on that is a little bit lower than we'd like it to be. But until models get a handle on why those things are, are poorly forecast until we get later on into the new year, we're going to continue to struggle with that. Yeah. I, I kept most of my talk east of the Rocky Mountains, but the West has been very dry for a long period of time. La Nina has made that much worse. Even the Pacific Northwest has been, they've been in and out of drought throughout the course of the last couple of years, but they've all... They've been plagued by it at some point in their growing season every year. La Nina usually brings about better conditions across the Pacific Northwest. Usually we get a little bit more rainfall and we see drought reduction up there. That's usually one of the places in the country where we actually see drought reduction during the wintertime instead of farther east where we don't really see a whole lot of that going away. And honestly, what we're looking at is a lot more rainfall north of the border into British Columbia and into Alberta than what we're expecting or what we would typically expect to see in Oregon, Idaho, Washington areas. So I'm a little more concerned about winter wheat in that situation going into next spring. We'll see if that actually holds up at all, or if they get enough snowpack in the mountains to actually get some good irrigation there during the spring season. But that's one of the more areas that I'm concerned about as well. You can read John's full analysis and up to the minute reporting on all things ag weather at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to John Baranek. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.